welcome to the very first very live news show called The Everyday Feminist. I am Dr. Stephanie Heck. I'm going to be co-hosting this show with my really good friend. You might know her because she's had many shows here on G-Town Radio, Lois Volta. Hi there. Hi there. Mm. Doesn't she have the best radio voice oh, ever? Oh, do I? Hi. Oh, she does. I am so glad to start this show with you, Stephanie. And I'm so glad that uh, The Everyday Feminist was just seemed like it was a good fit for us. Right, right. So if you are expecting me to be here doing my typical show, We're All Crazy, that is going to be coming on every so often in between these shows, just letting you know. And also, I think we forgot to tell you how you're listening to us. We are coming to you live on G-Town Radio. You might be listening to us online at gtownradio.com, or if you're on the airwaves, we are at 92.9 FM WGGTLP, based out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Stephanie... Your show and the way that you held people's mental health with your profession and what you do just made me so curious and so excited to work with you in the work that I was doing with my show here at G-Town Radio, which was about the home, domesticity, but how it is to be a woman at home and the issues that we might come across being at home relationally with our families, but just even our everyday tangible reality but I'm really excited to be able to talk to you but really be able to have more of a mental health type of approach to it right so for any of you who aren't aware I am a psychologist this show's not affiliated with my practice in any way but I know a thing or two about mental health so and Lois knows a thing or two about feminism and the intersection of the household and feminism and domesticity I'm a domestic educator, and I have a holistic feminist housekeeping consulting firm. And I'm also a writer for Grid Magazine, and I have a feminist domestics column. And I did say goodnight to the show that was here on G-Town Radio, which was Feminist Domestics Radio Show, but I'm so glad to be starting this with you. Yeah, yeah. So... um, where should we start today? I, like, I had the thought that we could talk a little bit about what our mission is. Mm-hmm. Like, why did we want to start this show? Mm-hmm. Why would, did we want to do this show with each other? Mm-hmm. You know, like you're talking about the intersection of your expertise and my expertise. I don't know if anyone would remember, but I did interview you mm-hmm. once on my first mm-hmm. show on G-Town Radio, The Not-So-Hidden Agenda. And I That was your that. first show? That was my, well, it wasn't my first, it wasn't like the virgin show that I did with you, but that was my first show that I developed Mm -hmm. um, where I just did in-depth interviews with people. Yeah. And so... I had so much fun with you. Oh, my God. And that was another reason why I (laughs) wanted to do this show with you and on a more regular basis because it was, it was, that show was great. Yeah. I I really liked doing that show. Um, It got hard to do it during the pandemic just because... You couldn't be in the studio and it was complicated um, organizing interviews Mm -hmm. and stuff, but I love it. And I I think you were probably one of my very favorite guests. No offense to anybody else. I did love interviewing you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we decided to call our show The Everyday Feminist for a reason. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I think that a lot of times we have this idea of what feminism is and these like you know, there's so many big issues out there that women really need to be fighting for and that we really need to pay attention to and be aware of. But 
sometimes we need permission just to be able to be a feminist in our own homes and for it to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And we are in this fourth wave of feminism now where it's becoming more, it's just becoming okay to be able to speak up and say, you know, hashtag me too. Or I don't like the way that you're talking to me or treating me. So I'm finding in some of the work that I do and just even watching the people around me that a lot of people either are afraid to speak up at home or speak up for themselves, or if they do, they know that they're going to suffer some consequences, some relational consequences, or um, they just don't, to me, I've found that a lot of people just don't want to take the risk. They'll bite their tongue because that's the way things are. So this is the thing that you're seeing in your consulting work. Like if you go into a house and you, you know, maybe work with a family, you, you start to see women not expressing their whole mind. Yeah. Or let's say I go into a house and, um, let's say the woman has me come in and then we're talking about the house, what the house needs and they really value the work. They want the support. They want the domestic support. But then the first, you know, roadblock in the way is who is going to pay for it and how much it's actually worth. I'm finding that women can't really have a lot of what they really want, (laughs) which is help support, 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 understanding some empathy that, uh, in the house, it's not, it still does not feel equal. It's not, it doesn't feel good. It's not, we're not there yet. No, we're not. Yeah, I was actually wondering if you could say a little more about just fourth wave feminism. Yeah, you know sure. What I mean, to like, to be really clear. I mean, even for me, like when people talk about all the different kinds of feminism and you're talking about the fourth wave, you know, maybe because I'm a Gen Xer, <laughs> like a little, I feel like maybe I'm behind the times. I'm like, what if I'm a third wave feminist and I don't no. even know what that is? No, I mean, fourth wave feminism basically was spurred on around 2012 with the Me Too movement and with social media and different platforms of being able to uh, exercise your voice in a way that if it is public, you're actually more protected. So there's this different way of being able to um, be a feminist or call men out. It's more, it's being normalized to call men out on their behavior. And that's really what's happening in fourth wave feminism. But what I think is really important right now is to be able to feel safe enough at home to be able to call, not, I mean, not necessarily call people out at home, but be able to have conversations at home that feel safe and uplifting and, um, we can really start to get that equality happening at at home. Right. Like right. truly, like it's time. Right. I was actually wondering if you see, since you go, you know, like I, I speak to lots of people, right? Like I speak to lots of people. I certainly speak to lots of women and of course lots of men. And during the pandemic was hearing a whole lot from women about life in the home and how hard it was, especially if they were mothers and mm-hmm. particularly if they were mothers of young children, mm-hmm. that was like brutal. I mean, we all know that that was just brutal on women. Um, but I was wondering if you could also s- tell me, since I'm not the one going into the homes, even though I hear these stories, if you think that there's a part in the fourth wave feminism that has to do with domestic identity, like, do you feel that mm. people that women in particular, um, 
I don't know, are, are embracing traditional roles in ways that maybe Gloria Steinem would have <laughs> not wanted or something. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that people are, especially with a pandemic, that people just want to have nice lives at home. And, you know, where there's, with all like the, everybody was baking sourdough and doing more domestic things with a pandemic. And it, I don't know, it's, I like to think about it this way. I like to think about how can we cross over from these ideas of what feels feminist or not feminist or what feels equal and even not equal or not equal and just be human. Can we just be human already? And I'm a human who eats food, who likes to cook and who likes to take cook for my kids and take care of my family and I don't feel like any less of a feminist because I like domestics. And I know that not everybody likes domestics. If we can kind of get it out of our heads, you know, the gender roles that I think a lot of feminists were pushing up against, if we can get switch the gear from thinking about things as, as gender roles and then kind of scoot into just human, being human. Right. It's almost like I mean, I don't dare I say like post feminism or something, the fourth wave that it is. It's sort of like that you should be free to say what's on your mind. Mm -hmm. You should be free to call out people if they do something wrong yeah. or hurt you somehow. You should be free to not have to be pushing against anything, really. Right. To and just to feel be. safe, though. I think that that is key is feeling safe because uh, I mean, in certain relationships, or and especially ones that might feel abusive or in a relationship where somebody really might not feel like it's okay to express themselves or they're belittled or just diminished somehow because they have been doing most of the housework, domestic work, like for them to speak up might not feel very safe. And do you have a sense of why, you know, like, you know, I certainly have my theories. I imagine you have. Well, what are your theories? Well... <laughs> I go into the interviewer role so uh -huh. easily. I'm like, wait, wait, you're throwing me off here. <laughs> right. Well, I guess, I guess one idea is that no, there's no one to listen, right? So it's like you can speak up, but does it matter, right? Like, I, I totally understand that feeling, one hundred percent. Yeah, there was a woman who. Um, who like I, I spoke to during the pandemic who was going crazy. Another woman who is a mom, a working mom of young children. And she kept talking about how the light bulbs were all out in her house and she just needed the light bulbs changed. And her husband would say like, see her so stressed out trying to kind of make ends meet and take care of the kids and homeschool everybody and make dinner and walk the dog and do all of the hundred million other things that she's doing. And he might say, how can I help you? And she'd be like, you can change the light bulbs. Yeah. You need new light bulbs. Yeah. And somehow they would never get changed. And well, he would continue to ask how he could help. Well, and it didn't work. It didn't matter. One thing that I think is really, really important for just everyone to kind of get out, especially for men, stop asking what you can do to help. It's not about helping. It's like, open your eyes, see what's in front of you. You're an equal participant for the house that you live in. And your partner is not your boss. You're not helping her. Like actually just do the work. 
But like, don't you hear men say, though, well, I th- I'll do it wrong, or she'll tell me that I'm doing it wrong, and I don't know, if I do it my way, I just step in there and do the work, then what if, you know, I put the dishes in the wrong spot, or when I'm loading the dishwasher, things aren't going where she would put them. Yeah, well, so instead of that fear, which I think is totally a cop-out, if so, okay, if someone is so worried about that that they don't do the work and they're willing to go through the fighting or the annoying things that come from just like not engaging because they're afraid that they might do it wrong, stop, take a step back and just ask, how would you do this? You've been or even better, you've been doing this. Thank you. You've been taking care of this. You've been always putting it away. You've been doing it this way for 10 years. And I want to learn how you do it because the way that you're doing it works. It Will you teach me? So it takes a certain type of humility. So instead of being afraid you're going to do it wrong, just humble yourself a little bit and ask. Just ask. Instead of asking how to help, say, how would you like me to do it? So you're talking about a paradigm shift. Uh-huh. Right? That 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 there's this idea that you know, like asking for help. Right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be help at all, but that's the way that it's always framed. Right? It's always framed this way. And so in order for people to think of it differently, they would have to kind of like go into a whole new spot in their brain or like look at things from all, with a whole new lens. Men and women. Yeah. Well, I mean, I even with my kids sometimes, I'm like, I need more help around here. And I like kind of stop and I'm like listening to myself because I have these feelings about help. And here I am being like, I need help. And then I have to do that thing where I stop. Now that I know that word is in my brain and I don't like it, I don't like to think about it like that. I have to stop myself because it takes a while. You can't just like automatically try on a new way of thinking and your life is completely different. You got to like put the training wheels on. And, you know, try it out. So when I hear myself asking my children for help, I stop, take a step back, and then approach the situation um, more like we're collaborating here. We are working together. We are, um, we're all responsible here. Is there ways that we can work together to get this particular thing done quicker so we can move on? Yeah, I mean, you're really... You're, you're talking to something that is so relevant and so important and so big and so embedded in us that it feels like the air you breathe. I know. Honestly, like because I'm listening to you and thinking about my own language and how that's completely what I say and it's absolutely how I feel because the default is that it's mine. It's my work mm-hmm. by default. Mm-hmm. So if I want to not have to do all of it, or if I want to do other things, mm-hmm. not only do all of the housework, I have to ask for help with the housework. And that, and what you're saying is it shouldn't even be that way. We shouldn't even look at it as help. And we shouldn't be raising our children to think about it as help. Because it, it just is going to perpetuate, perpetuate it instead of us taking ownership. I made this particular mess I am going to engage with the mess that I've made. Or I, I live here. I, I can't even help it. My skin falls off and it creates dust. That's just how it goes. <laughs> you know. But same with everybody. So if I take ownership of everything without um, making sure my kids are taking ownership as well, 
then they have no, they're not learning a sense of responsibility. Right. And for me, I know my kids are just learning something that feels like women complain a lot. Yeah. Right. And, and the difference between complaining and being in complaining, asking for help versus being in this space that you're talking about. I don't even have a word for it. You know, sharing, <laughs> sharing the yeah. load, pitching in, it's being equal. It's thinking about our families and our households as more communal areas, places of being. It's we're all living under one roof. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, and yes, I do. I'm running the show. You know, I'm I'm mom and I'm making sure, you know, and I don't have a partner, it's just me and my kids. So it's like then there's a lot of stuff that falls on you know, being a single parent too. I think that's all the more reason why I know I can't do it all myself. And yes, when my kids were really little, it was, it's harder. It's a lot, a lot of work to have kids. It's a lot of work to have little kids. Now that my kids are a little bit older, I'm so glad that I had them helping when they were little. And I'm so glad that we talked about the living room, the dining room and the kitchen. Basically the first floor is communal space. You don't just throw your stuff down in communal space without mom coming through and putting it on, like getting it out of the way Mm -hmm. or asking you to move it Mm -hmm. or you just, this is space that we're sharing. Treat it like that. Why do you think it's so hard to make this shift, right? Because you say it and it sounds easy. It sounds obvious. It sounds right. And yet it, it isn't. I mean, I can't tell you how many women... I have seen over the years in my therapy practice sobbing, like really sobbing because they're just trying to communicate to their partner, often a male partner, that they're overwhelmed. And they just want the partner to hear that they're overwhelmed and that they can't do it all by themselves. And they get, they come up against this defensiveness in their partner that makes them feel like they're complaining, they're being a nag, um, they're not being appreciative, they don't love him right. I think that sometimes I'm hesitant to say this because I feel like I could be a bad influence, not bad or whatever, but like, hey, if you are not in a relationship that you feel is respectful enough that you can't just talk about it in a way that you feel safe, what are you doing in that relationship? Just respectful, just a respectful conversation about the byproduct of living, just being a human being. Mm-hmm. And it's so tumultuous just to even be able to talk about it. To me, it boils down to a respect issue. Do you respect me or not? Right, right. And f- for me, I did, you know, end a relationship because I felt like I wasn't being respected and it wasn't okay. And here I am doing the work that I did. And I'm like on the other side of all these microaggressions that happened daily. Now, if my partner, if I felt like he was more respectful and listened to my concern, then maybe we could have grown together and evolved together. Right. Because what you're saying is these things don't have to be such a big deal. No. Like, it really can be a simple conversation, right? And Or you can sit down and talk to each other about what could change. How could we do things differently? Like you were saying, 
you taught your daughters that the first floor of the house is communal living space. So that that doesn't have to have any emotion to it at all. There's no valence on that. It's not good or bad. It's just communal living space that needs to be tended to. I think a lot of times women also get pegged as controlling and they're controlling their male partners by asking them to change their behaviors. And it's the threat of being controlling of their partners saying that they're being controlling that make them like even too afraid to ask for a behavioral change. Mm. Like for instance, let's say somebody cleaned their bedroom, put away their clothes, always made sure the sheets were fresh and everything was really great, but their partner just wouldn't get on board. And one side of the room, I see this, like one side of the room is a disaster and the other side of the room is pristine, right? Or it's like everything is all like looking beautiful and then there's just, yeah, it just feels in a way just disrespectful. It's like here you have somebody cleaning up the space who just really wants to live a certain way and you're not letting that person live the way that they really want to live because you don't want to be controlled you don't want to be told what to do. You don't want to just put your stuff away and make your side of the bed. Like, come on. Like, it just seems like just give a little bit. Do you ever hear it go the other way, though, that the person who's on the messy side of the room feels like she won't let me express my mess? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but that's the thing. It's like, yeah, like I just want a place where I can just not worry about anything and just throw things. And at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is like have to think about putting things away. And honestly, I get that side too. That's why chores don't have like, there's no morality when it comes to chores. There's like no right or wrong. But that's to me why it's so important to build mutually respectful understanding of like, well, how do we both want this to be? How can I give you grace and you give me grace and we just feel both respected and come to a mutual understanding? So if one person says... The bedroom has been feeling like a little messy lately. The other person can know exactly what the expectation is and be like, you're right, I'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying it. You shouldn't have had to even say it to me. Right. It doesn't have to be something that makes anyone defensive. Yeah. And the defensive is just like, that, that stuff drives me crazy. Because it then it's like, it takes the partner who wants things to be a little bit more tidy or have things operating a little bit more efficiently or like, or have it set up in a way that's like more egalitarian. Like it makes that person into, I don't know. It's like, we are so afraid to be able to speak up and say things because things don't feel respected and feel equal and feel kind because we just want to live a certain way and have our house feel a certain way or just feel like an equal participant in the home. There's something just so, so off in our culture. And it's also another reason that we should be raising our children to have an understanding that this paradigm shift like has to happen. Like it has to happen. It has to happen now. But it's our job as adults, even if we don't have kids, it's our job as adults to curate respectful, safe places that we call home. Right, right. You're making me think of one of my favorite Gloria Steinem quotes (laughs) that I remember reading this when um, I became a mom. I have two sons, so I'm a mother of sons. And the quote was about 
about raising sons. So she says, we have begun to raise our daughters to be more like sons, Mm -hmm. but few have the courage to raise our sons to be more like daughters. Yeah. And I really, that has always stayed with me because it felt true. And I always was sort of hoping that, you know, maybe, maybe in a a sense, you know, you're using the term fourth wave. Maybe this is a thing that will come over time. Like we've begun to raise our sons to be more like daughter or our daughters to be more like sons. Like that's phase one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And maybe it's like phase three, or maybe that's the phase we're in now where we can start to think about how are we going to raise our sons? Although I know you're not talking about sons and daughters in particular. You're talking about kids in general, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's easy to think about it like when you send your kids to preschool, right? They learn just a being a human being, a kid at school, that when they take something out, they have to put it back. Like, I mean, this is not... This Where'd is, it go? I don't know, but it's like, <laughs> it's as soon as it gets home... As soon as that gets home, it's like that lesson is only reserved for when you're out of the house. Because when you're in the house, you can rely on the women to do it. And so here's the thing. Like, you know, we were kind of talking about what gets in the way. What gets in Mm -hmm. the way of um, women asking for equality in the home, right? And we're talking in some ways about the external stuff. The partner's defensiveness, maybe a sense of guilt. Mm-hmm. you know, or guilt that is existing within their relationship or maybe a mm-hmm. feeling of you don't have a voice. No one would listen anyway. It feels mm-hmm. futile. But I think there's this whole other side that's more internal, right? The psychology of mm-hmm. it that's going on within the the woman who's not pointing out mm-hmm. the difference. Like when we were talking, Lois, about um, this show and what would be the mission of the show, you came up with this really great statement the everyday feminist gives you permission to speak up at home with your family and with the people in your life, Mm -hmm. like just to have permission to speak Mm -hmm. up. So again, that's like, there's an external permission from the other, but there's also an internal permission from the self. Yes. 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 And that internal permission from the self, I almost wonder if it's as big, if not bigger, (laughs) Than the external, or if there's a way that those things intersect. Well, get uh, all right. Well, it's like self-respect, right? It's like having self-respect. It's like if you have self-respect, you are more likely to surround yourself with people who are really respectful to you as well. And I think a lot of times we get ourselves in relationships, or we've been in relationships for some time, and over time we get comfortable. And we just forget that it's important to really be respectful to each other. But we just let, I feel like a lot of times women, and this is, I, I, I don't even, you know, the, the feeling of letting things go, mm-hmm. you know, that person let it go. It's sad to me if we let go of our self-respect because we're just so used to the world working the way the world works. And boys will be boys and men will be men. So I'm going to let that little part of my self-respect go and just clean up all of the nasty laundry that wasn't even mine or the dishes that were left in the sink. It just doesn't feel, you know, if you have the self-respect enough to be able to speak up for yourself and just without, and again, I just want to reiterate, you should feel safe in your home to be able just to be yourself and speak up. And also, I mean, this is where we need, you know, 
other people to engage, you have to, you know, ideally you would be able to speak up to someone who will listen. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the thing that I hear a lot. And I know I experience it. I hope my sons are listening (laughs) because they hear me all the time. And I'm, you know, I'm often saying like, I don't want to feel like a complainer. I shouldn't have to feel like I'm complaining just to get you to put your dish in the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it, but somehow by default, they know I'll do it because I always just do. Well, do you know what I, do you know what I did with my kids? I did this thing where I made a list of every single chore that the every single thing that's needed for a house to function down to buying toilet paper or going like or even making the money to be able to have the house function but just every chore we have a list of every single thing and sometimes if I feel like people aren't pulling their weight I call a family meeting and we sit down and I just go all right well let's just talk about who's been doing who oh I do that oh I do that oh I've been doing that, 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 and too. And so when we go through the list, I make it really clear. I don't want to ask that the dishwasher is unloaded. No, I don't mind asking. But when I ask for the dishwasher to be unloaded, they do it because they put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I, I think that it's cool to think about, you know, one place where we can have a lot of influence and and also like affect change for the next generation is with our kids right because it's like you know we're showing them how to be we're teaching them to be adults so then there's a whole other demographic of people that i'm really worried about i'm worried about people in their 20s and especially with this uh, within this movement that we're in and the climate of how we're treated as women and young young people are more open to equality and young women are like, I'm not going to be like my mom and do, you know, I'm not going to just take care of some man. That's crazy. You know, like they're, you know, we are growing, but there's a, and I'm seeing, I'm hearing story after story about young people who start coupling up and nobody knows how to do anything, what to do, who does what they're like falling into roles. These things that seem seemed promised to young boys, like because their moms treated them a certain way they're they're not getting met by their new partners because they're we're just in a different time than even you and I mm-hmm. so it's like it's and people who might have said well that's just the way it is and it's really hard to push up against it but these young people I'm I'm worried about them actually because is it, are you saying that they're kind of like that in between space in between that we've begun to raise our daughters to be more like yeah. sons but we yes. have had the courage to raise their yes, sons yes exactly so it's a yes, mismatch yes i love that like i love that they're like right in that mismatch exactly where the daughters have all the power and independence and know-how but sons are falling behind. Is it that? Is it like yes. that? Like, yeah. Uh. Now, and I raise, I raise my daughters. They know how to cook. They know how to clean. They know how to like take care of themselves. And I don't think it's regressive that I'm teaching my children normal household skills. Like we have to be able to get over this idea of like what is even feminine, like in the house. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, and I, I like that quote, that Gloria Steinem quote, because if you can think about it a little bit differently, it's like. Why don't we have the courage to teach our sons about their own humanness? Right. Which we could go, we could probably have a whole show about that. 
I was actually thinking as I was listening to what you were saying about how, um, I don't know if you saw the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary that came out. Oh, it's really good. Um, but in it, I can't remember if it was emphasized, but it certainly stood out to me that her husband made dinner. Yeah. She didn't cook. Yeah. She couldn't cook. And I often think if Ruth Bader Ginsburg had known how to cook, we wouldn't have had her. Yeah. Because in that era, she would have been stuck. There are a lot of people who will say, well, my husband does cook. He does do that. Or there are people who really do feel like their partners pull more weight, which is great. I would even encourage those people who feel that way, who already feel like they are good participants in the home, to even go, keep going. Keep going so it's not 50-50. Why don't if you are already there doing 50-50, if you're already cooking, like, and you're already open to the idea of being an equal partner, now go a little bit further and work on the liberation. Like, be a feminist. Be a fourth-wave feminist man who not only makes dinner, who, so, like, we can have these amazing judges and have the time for them to actually fight for, you know, women's rights and... You're, and you're right. I don't. And men's rights. Just and men's yeah. rights. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, What do you hear from? What do you hear men saying about it? I hear. Well, gosh, I was thinking about this recently. I feel like the the feeling of. You know, when I'm saying that, um, men feel scared. Or they, you know, and you're saying, oh, it's kind of a cop out to say like, well, I won't do it right. In a way, I think it is. But in another way, I think that it's legitimate, like that they or they don't mean it as a cop out or they don't know that they literally feel um, in some ways it's going to sound it's going to sound funny, but almost inferior or something that there's this sense of like, I would like to participate. But when I try to participate, I'm told I'm doing it wrong. And I'm told I'm doing it wrong again and again and again and again. And so at some point, I just give up. So it sort of does feel like a cop-out. But I also think that there's something happening in the dynamic because often the way I look at it is that their their wives or partners are probably bitter, right? That there's this sense of like, I've asked you 50 times and it didn't ever work. And so now you want to do it. And now all my anger is coming out, right, In in a way, right? So it's almost like, these interactions, if they could be decaffected a little bit, if we could take some of the frustration out, mm-hmm. maybe on both sides, because, mm-hmm. you know, women are understandably frustrated a lot of the time, but then it's, um, it's not serving anyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, for people who might feel that way, I wonder what would happen if they just tried for a week just for a week, just do all the stuff. How do you, like, just ask how exactly would you want me to do this? Go deep into it with, and just like kind of change even your thinking, like, okay, I'm going to do all the dishes or do all this, or like, I'm going to step up this week. And while I do it, I'm also going to have another practice where I just like listen to my breath while I do it. But I'm going to do it exactly the way my partner's asking me to. Just try it for a week. And see what happens. I 
guarantee 100% that there will be at least some understanding gained to, you know, and it's either how much your partner actually does and how well your partner actually does it, which is the reason why they might feel like you're not doing it well enough because they do it so well. Mm -hmm. Learn how to do it well. Do it exactly the way that they ask just for a week and see what happens. It, it works. It does work. Yeah, that's a great assignment. You know, I also feel that a lot of um, a lot of couples don't really know where to start with these things. So that's where your consulting work seems really important. You know, if you have a couple that is actually committed to striving toward domestic equality, but they can't even see what they can't see because everything feels so automatic and invisible, it's really useful to, to pause and to have somebody else who's not involved in the emotions. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, that it's, I'm just not connected to the emotions, but it's almost like, all right, well, let's just be real here. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> what, wait, why did you say it like that? That's weird. <laughs> You're totally capable of this. What do you mean you can't do it? Right. You've learned plenty of things. Like, why can't you learn how to do this? You're right. fine. <laughs> you know, just being able to take it, like, a, just have a, yeah, make it not so, such a big deal. It's not a big deal. Right. But it feels like a big deal to be disrespected. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, like, why does it feel so big? I mean, I think, too, it's like for women, because we've been kind of carrying this load for so long. Like, I know for me, I grew up in the South, you know, and there was certainly a lot of expectation. I was the one who did all the dishes for every big family meal. Mm -hmm. Like, I had one uncle who sometimes would take pity on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it's like Thanksgiving for 12, and there I am at the sink, you know, mm -hmm. year in and year out, like, cleaning up. Because mm -hmm. it's sort of like expected that that's what I do. Usually, other than that one uncle, everyone else was sitting in the other room. Yeah. Right. And and what would have happened if you just didn't do that? Well, I mean, as a kid, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. But but as an adult, like, actually, that, uh, that's something that I, I tried one time. And like, what, what happens if I just don't do it? Well, honestly, like, what I have seen is that then everything's just a big mess. Yeah. It's not that it's, it's not that someone sees that there's a mess and so they step in and do it. It's that there's just a mess, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, so then if you, if you're somebody who does not want to live with mess and you're with someone who doesn't yeah. care about mess, right? then you've got, you know, then you've got kind of a problem because it's like, there's two different ways of living or two different set of standards about what feels good. Right. 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 And that's where I think it's important to build, continue to build or restore. We could think about it as restoring something, seeing what's there before we rip it all out or end a relationship or whatever that might look like. How can we restore what's there, keeping the good stuff, but then also what needs to, what needs to come out? What do we need to replace with new habits? Like what can we build upon to create a safe, mutually respectful relationship that involves an understanding of the byproduct of living, just being a human? It's sort of like what we were going to talk about today that, you know, I don't think we're going to get to it, um, but I think it should be a show would be like everyone needs to kill the angel of the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And we can say a little bit about what that yeah. means, but you know, which, which is a thing that I think is both internal and external. So, well, when you first described it to me, I was like, but I love the angels in the house. I have angels floating all around my house. But that's, that's not, so, so we're talking about, um, an essay that mm-hmm. I recently read, um, called Professions for Women that was, um, well, actually what it was, was a talk that Virginia mm-hmm. Woolf gave to a group of, let's see, what does it say right here? Well, Virginia Woolf read this lecture to the National Society for Women's Service on the 21st of January in 1931. Yeah. So, um, and it wasn't published until after she died. Um, but it's so powerful because in it, she's, you know, she's asked to speak to this group of women who are aspiring professionals about how she did it. Mm-hmm. And she talks about what she had to do in order to, um, in order to be successful was first to kill the angel of the house. And the angel of the house, my son looked it up for me, was um, she's referencing a poem, like another a poem that was written by a man. And I wish I, if I were, you know, if I were savvy enough, I would have that reference, but I don't. Um, but, but the, the poem by the man is talking about all of these beautiful attributes of women in the home who are Mm -hmm. the angels taking care of everything, anticipating Mm -hmm. everyone's Mm -hmm. needs, really other focused, selfless, nurturant, Mm -hmm. not having any aspirations of their own, you know, and this like kind of like all giving, all loving, warm presence Mm -hmm. is what every woman should be. We should aspire to be the Mm -hmm. angel of the house. So Virginia haunts, Haunts women. Haunts women. Mm-hmm. And so Virginia Woolf says, I couldn't have been successful if I hadn't killed the angel of the house. And she really describes in this in this talk what a struggle it was. Mm-hmm. And she has one she has one line though that I totally love that actually kind of gave me chills when I read it. She says, When I killed the angel of the house, um, I decided that if I had been brought to court or to trial I would claim self-defense Yeah. for if I hadn't killed her, she would have killed me. Yeah. And it's, I really feel like there's something in that, that, that we all are battling as women internally. And I really think that men battle it too about women, right? It's just like this, yeah. it's this phantom in the space that we're all living in. It's yep. like all in the home. And it would be so great if everyone agreed to kill the angel of the house. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this i this idea of what of what a woman should be in her role exactly mm-hmm. right and it's it it you know she talks about in this essay um what a struggle it was to kill her because of course she's a ghost and you can't really see her so how do you know she's dead mm-hmm. how do you kill a ghost mm-hmm. so she had to kill her many times mm-hmm. because she would think she was dead and then she'd pop right back mm-hmm. up again yeah I really feel that I, I really, I really like it that you shared that essay with me and getting back to the idea of the permission of using our voices in this, in this essay, I feel like it gave me permission to kill the angel. Like, it's like, it's like somebody giving you permission that the way that this haunting, this haunting expectation, this haunting idea of what femininity is like to be able to say no it's not okay 
And if you want to be successful, which is, you know, what she's saying, it's like a essay to or, you know, a, a talk to women who want to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then you think about where we are now. And not only is this angel haunting us, but we are also working and, you know, have the second shift of the house. That's like it's not. It's, yeah, it's like we need to change the perception. But maybe if we all were given a little bit more permission to collectively kill her, we might be able to um, I feel like it's okay. Right, right. I also think that she's talking about, like, you know, maybe we'll have another show where we delve into this a little bit more. But she's also talking about that how the angel gets in the way, even at work, yeah. for women. Right? There's the sense of, you know, the domestic responsibility, but there's also this sense of how women doubt themselves, mm-hmm. right? Or women um, aren't able to express themselves in a manner that's free, mm-hmm. Like to really just say what you mean without without any thought to mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. without having to really think about all the time how it's going to be received. Yeah. Constantly, constantly, constantly. Which doesn't mean, you know, that you would want to go out there and be all callous, but that, you know, it would be nice to just say what you mean. Yeah, sure would. But that takes trust. That, like, self-trust. You have to be able to trust that who you are is amazing is great is like somebody worthy of speaking is Mm -hmm. like whose voice actually matters who is like not afraid of themselves right which gets down to the more of like the internal the internal haunting or you know the internal dialogue that we have to kind of build up ourselves in a way where we have enough self-respect to be able to do something about it right it's almost like that too has to be a collaborative effort yeah. yeah. Like the first floor of your house. Like everyone pitches in. This is a communal mm-hmm. space. Things need to change. And it works so much better if everyone agrees that it's a problem and everyone agrees to be on the mission mm-hmm. to make it be otherwise. Yeah. A shared understanding. I think about it like that. Is there's is a shared understanding of what it means to clean up after dinner and nobody goes and does their next thing until the shared understanding is materialized. And that's it. And sometimes that means I need to walk the dog and the kids just do everything. And they know exactly all the things I have to do because we have a shared understanding and we have a mutually respectful household. And nobody wants to, you know, the fighting about what's fair and what's not fair. And they did more than me. And like, we don't have that at our house because everybody just can look around and be like, oh, and this looks like I need to vacuum. Oh, the dishes need to get put away. It's not they're doing more or less than anybody else. It's like everybody has an idea of what needs to get done. Yeah, I wonder why we go there. Uh, Because (sighs) fair. We want to feel like things are fair. (laughs) I just want to laugh because it's so true that we think that thing. Like I feel like I see people um, suffer a lot. Because of this idea that things are fair and we want things to be fair. But people don't want to be taken advantage of either. Right. Right. I don't want to be taken advantage of, but I also, if I don't feel taken advantage of, the truth is I got a little bit more to give. I got, I got plenty of love to give. I got plenty of acts of service to give, Mm -hmm. but don't take advantage of me. Ugh. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) 
know, right. I, like, I, can, I get that. And then if you like put that in like little kid language, it's just. Yeah, I really think that you're talking about like a whole new way of being that should not be revolutionary, but kind of is. Right. Even like, you know, we were sitting on your front porch the other night thinking about this show and you started talking about how um, we there's the work of life that we all must do. And can't there be ways to just enjoy it as you do it instead of pushing back against it as if it's this awful burden, but just yeah. to sort of like accept that it is and roll with it and step into it, you know, not in the sense of like sacrificing yourself, but that if like, again, if there's a communal effort to like to, to meet a shared goal. I think people forget, um, after let's say like, let's say after somebody spends an hour cleaning up and there's like immediate results for your work. It's like the results are immediate. That feeling of doing a job well done or just being proud of yourself or like giving yourself your own little pat on the back that I did it. And now I get to enjoy it. It's like, I think people forget that feeling even exists. So if you can remember that feeling exists and you can just kind of just live it out a little bit more, then we can get out of this resentment and dread and blah, like, Oh, I don't want to. (laughs) And it's not about even being motivated. It's about just remembering it feels good to be an active participant in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. You're taking me back to um, my grandmother teaching me how to clean my bedroom when I was growing up. My mom was a very messy person. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> and my grandmother was not. Like she, even at 95, she's living pretty independently and her house is immaculate. Everything is totally mm-hmm. organized. It's just who she, you know, like for her, it's like mm-hmm. automatic. And I think she's similar to you. Like she never felt it as like this big burden. It was just how she lived. And so she used to come, my mom was a single mom and she would come to our house on weekends here and there. We lived a couple hours away and she would help me clean my room Mm -hmm. because in the interim, no one else was helping Mm -hmm. me. No one was teaching me. And at the end of it, we would put everything away. I remember her, she would sit on the bed with me and she would say, now doesn't this feel good? Yeah. Like does. And I remember that. It, she was so right. And that was such an important thing for her to have said was to kind of point out how you feel when you're in a space that's like clean and organized and you know where everything is and there's not a whole bunch of stuff on the floor and the bed is made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, self-respect is not tripping over piles. I do want to say there, like, there's a pendulum though, right? So it's like, you know, there are people who are really, really like, cleanly and have their houses like super pristine and I know my house isn't like that my house my house gets messy I I allow myself to be a human being and I think that that's the other side of grace right it's like how can we give ourselves grace and give the people around us grace and it doesn't have to be immaculate but it doesn't mean that like we we don't get to part we shouldn't participate right right just like, so it, it feels like instead of our environment controlling us, it's very simple, right? Instead of our environment controlling us, we control our environment. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds so simple, but I think it's hard. I mean, I know there are days when I feel like I'm being pulled apart. Yeah. You know, and that feels very much about the environment, although I'm sure there's, some of it is me too, you know, but. Well, if you ever need a pep talk, I can give you a pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe well, I have a bad attitude about cleaning. Maybe. It's going to be okay. <laughs> you got this, Stephanie. 
<laughs> well, maybe maybe you can give me the pep talk next week when we come back. If we're yeah. here next week, or maybe it'll be the yeah. week after. Yeah. Um, when we will be back here to G Town Radio. Yes. This was fun. This was really fun. And I and I'm hoping that y'all tune in to the next time. We'll we'll try to advertise it and let everybody know. And we'll post. We're gonna post this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll post the show and you know tell a friend to tell a friend. Yeah tune in to the everyday feminist yeah and we uh, we also want to hear what you have to think about it so you can even send us voice memos or emails you know we really do want this to be a call in or write in or Mm -hmm. text in show Mm -hmm. where people can let us know what they're struggling with and we can help Mm -hmm. figure out what's going on yeah some solutions yeah exactly and just have somebody outside of the situation without the emotional attachment to say what's the most loving way that we can uh, get through this okay. problem or whatever? Well, Germantown, we will be back mm-hmm. on 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. This is Stephanie signing off. And this is Lois Volta signing off. All right. Mm, we'll catch you guys next mm-hmm. time. Cheeks are rosy like a bush at Charum. I'm a strawberry soda. Raise my lashes to heaven. Stars in my hair running like a waterfall. Clouds in the whites of our eyes, we saw it all. Burn me at the stake, you thought I was a witch. Centuries ago, now you just call me a bitch. Mother nature's dying, nobody's keeping Stop it.